welcome to A Bittersweet Deep Found Entertainment video game podcast. And today, and also next week, we are going through the incredibly arduous task of ranking our not top 10 and not top 30, but top 20 games of the generation. I'm always Mike. And I'm always Darren. Do you know why I felt the need to specify that it's not 30? I don't think anybody does a top 30, do they? That's not a thing. Uh, not unless you really want them clicks. Uh, but I mean, people have done top hundreds, but they've played a lot more games than we have. They have bigger budgets than we do, so they yeah. are afforded that luxury. I mean, we probably could have made top thirties, but thirty through twenty-one would just be, yeah, this was fine. <laughs> this and game was serviceable. It certainly came out, so I don't think that's uh, the high-quality content people are actually looking for. Um, so this is a slightly more refined list. It is, yeah. Um, from both our ends, we have gone through all games released between October 2013 and October 2020, the seven years that encompass the eighth generation of video games uh, on all platforms that are considered, which is all the major home consoles as well as the handhelds and mobile in that seven-year period. It's been an interesting seven years for games, it must be said. This felt like a massive jump from the PS3 and uh, Xbox 360 to the PS4 and the Xbox One, as well as having two separate Nintendo home consoles that are considered mm-hmm. in this generation. And now we are on the cusp, uh, as this episode comes out, part one of a two-part series, on the week that the Xbox Series X and Series S are available in stores. You can go, by the time you hear this, you can go and get one if indeed there is stock, because, hey, we're in the middle of a global pandemic and a second lockdown in the UK. Yay. Um, it's looking at, uh, it's unless you're one of these smart people who managed to pre-order two PlayStation 5s uh, way back <laughs> when, um, you're, you're going to be a bit scarce on uh, next-gen stuff for now. But that's fine. I mean, there's still there are still games coming out that could potentially, hypothetically, threaten the integrity of these lists as we still have uh, Assassin's Creed Valhalla, Cyberpunk, uh, Hyrule Warriors, uh, Age of Calamity. Um, so the Switch is kind of an odd one because, you know, it, it kind of sits out of continuity with the, the other two consoles it's competing against. So it, we could redo this list in a year's time and still have different um, games on there. And I know they're kind of stretching onto the PS5 as well, but for the most part, I've kind of disqualified any game that appeared on a PS3 or Xbox 360. Because I would say that was its primary console that it released on, and they just, you know, slightly up-resed it for the next gen. I, I've taken this as solely cons- games that were released on next gen, on current gen consoles. So that's why Assassin's Creed Black Flag isn't here, and so on and so forth. Yeah, there's been a bit of a kind of exemption rule to this. Um, I, I, I do have one game that we're actually going to discuss in this episode, um, sort of halfway up the bottom half of the list uh, that did release on a previous generation console but was primarily made for the, the current gen and then downgraded mm. um but that is pretty much the only exception just me saying that you've probably already guessed what it is if you do play video games uh, but darren's right there are some games that we aren't able to include in the list cyberpunk 2077 pushed itself back to the 10th of december i think mm-hmm. that's the new date yep and therefore is no longer coming out anywhere near the uh, eighth generation is a solidly ninth generation game even though it is launching on eighth generation hardware and ninth generation hardware simultaneously so yeah that when we come to do this in another seven years time god if we're still doing this in another seven years uh-huh. time um 
Cyberpunk can be on that list. It just can't be here, which is really weird to think. There's also going to be a bevy of games that we've not played. Um, for example, one of the games that was on my list until I realized I didn't actually buy it uh, was Near Automata. I played it. I liked it. I didn't buy it. Therefore, it can't be here. It's not one of my best of the generation. Um, there are games that are coming out like in these couple of weeks that technically could qualify, but we're not going to have time to play. Uh, the one that comes to my mind is Hades on the Nintendo Switch. Um, it looks great, but I've got a PlayStation 5 coming, so I'm not going to play it this year, which is a big shame. Um, and we do have, before we get into the list, uh, a couple of honourable mentions to go through. These are games that we have played, games that we did like, but unfortunately do not crack our top 20. Uh, Darren, you've probably got less than me, so feel free to quickly list off your honourable mentions now. Uh, I will do. Um, so... Mad Max was on here. It was at number 20 um, until this morning uh, when I updated this list with a new game that has pushed it off of there. Um, it's a great game. It's just a like a glitch cost me a platinum. And I don't think I've ever truly forgiven the game for that. that it, <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> that it, it's still, you know, all these years later. That it, I, I didn't buy that game when it was brand new as well. I had it about six months in. So I felt they would have patched this stuff out. But yeah, I... I spent a lot of hours, Michael, a lot of hours doing tedious collecting to get a platinum, and I didn't get it. So I think that's always been held against that game. Uh, elsewhere, we have um, a lot of Lego games. I felt I enjoy all Lego games, and I platinum them all, but I don't really think they're of high enough quality to really feature here. So we've had stuff like uh, Lego Jurassic World, uh, Lego Avengers, which was actually a bit naff, uh, Lego Marvel Super Heroes 2, Lego Star Wars Force Awakens, uh, Lego The Incredibles, Lego Star Wars The Skywalker Saga, if it had released in time, probably could, if, if all the previews are to be leaked, that maybe could have actually cracked this top 20, but uh, ultimately it didn't. Um, I think that's about it. I think everything else that I've played, I'm looking at my shelf now, everything on there like Far Cry New Dawn, no, Far Cry 5, no. Uh, Doom 2017 or whatever it was, n no. Uh, yeah, everything else on there is fine, serviceable, but n was never going to be cracking a quality list like this one. That I've just definitely lost a tenner then. Uh, I I bet my wife that you'd put a Lego game on your list. So shit. <laughs> okay. Cool. Sorry. Um, like they're all uh, good. I like I do enjoy all Lego games, but every one of them, there's not like a definitive one. Like if it was. PS3, Lego Marvel Super Heroes 1, 100% that's getting on the list. But all the ones this generation have just been, like, perfectly fine, but nothing nothing amazing. Yeah, you're quite right there. Uh, although, speaking of one of the games that's on your shelf, one of the games that you could consider an unofficial 21, although I realised I didn't own it today and therefore can't go on the list, is Doom 2016. Uh, mm. It's, weirdly, I prefer Doom Eternal, um, but Doom 2016, I realise, is the... Well, I don't want to say the better game, but it's the more streamlined game, and it's the game that's kind of reinvigorated the franchise. It can't be on the list. Um, this is also joined by the following games uh, that can't be on my list, which is Fallout 4, Resident Evil 2 Remake, Crash Bandicoot Insane Trilogy, Super Mario Odyssey, Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order, God of War, Pokemon Sword and Shield, Carrion, and Animal Crossing New Horizons. Just... I love them. They're very, very good games. Every one I've just mentioned there. 
but they are not in my top 20 for favoritism, cultural reasons, importance to the sphere, all different factors. I think, Darren, we should get into the lists. Um, we're going to set a little bit of a just in the essence of time. Otherwise, we'll be here for literally five hours. We're going to set ourselves two minutes each to talk about our entries and allow for any back and forth. Uh, Darren, do you want to go first or second? Uh, I'll kick us off. Um, yeah, we're going to hold true to that until we get to the top five in the second episode, just because then I, we would like to have a bit more of a discussion about our favourite five games of the last seven years. So we'll, we'll hold off for now. But yeah, I'm just going to get my stopwatch up um, just so I can kind of hope to keep a little bit of time. Uh, so we're going to kick off with number 20, which is uh, Safe Part, The Fractured But Whole from Ubisoft 2017 on everything. Um I'll start off by saying I don't think it's as good as the Stick of Truth, um, at least storyline-wise. I think Stick of Truth has probably got a better story to it. But uh, the Fractured But Whole really helps um, evolve the gameplay of the first one. It's still funny, it's still a safe part game, it's still hilarious. But they took a step forward with the combat here by having it um, not just be turn-based, but also on like a grid system that added like a whole new layer of tactics to this game, which I think I really appreciated. It's... Um, it allows it to be more than just, you know, the gameplay is just a vehicle that you have to go through to get to more storyline. The, the gameplay can actually be quite fun and quite challenging. Um, all the over-the-top powers are quite silly. This is based in superhero parody as opposed to Lord of the Rings parody like uh, Stick of Truth. So I was always going to like it a little bit more than the first game. Um, yeah, I mean, as Save Part the TV show was actually going through quite a rough patch at this point. for doing its serialised episodes and not really being as good as it once was. At least the video games found a way to be uh, innovative, still be as funny as the old South Park episodes used to be. And yeah, it's great. It's it's, it's always funny to get, you know, um, PC principal in as your, as your ultra weapon. He should be the ultra weapon in every video game. There we go. <laughs> nice. Very succinct. I forgot about that game. That's really good. Awesome. Uh, I'm going to go ahead with my number 20 and we start with the only... Um, mobile entry, which is Pokemon Go, released in 2016 for iOS and Android. There has not been a time in human history that I can remember where we have been more united as a species than when Pokemon Go first came out, <laughs> where I was literally a part of what can only be described as rampant flash mobs trying to rush towards a, um, a Dragonite or a Charizard that had randomly spawned in somewhere in Dudley. It was... It was genuinely, it felt like our Woodstock, which is just so oh, fucking God. weird to say. But the reason I put it at number 20 is because it's actually not a great game to play. It's certainly improved since the launch in 2016. There's a, a facet of new features in there. You've got quests, you've got, there's actually a story. You can get exclusive Pokemon to that game. You can take part in raids. You can invite people to raids now. And during the pandemic, you've been able to play remotely. There's now um, actual trainer battles. You can fight Team Rocket and other trainers and, and again, other users, which is something they've been bringing in. There is its own battle league as well with themed events going on. In 2020, Pokemon Go is a really, really good mobile game. In 2016, it was the nostalgia rush that all 90s kids needed and not a fat lot else. It is, however, going to be one of those cultural touchstones, I think. Uh, we're going to look back on things like when Pokemon Go came out, and that's a big remember moment. This is a game that felt more, how should I say it, more culturally relevant than it was actually innovative. The the kind of the tracking in game was always a bit buggy, and the graphics were always a bit not great. 
like I said, it's not a fantastic video game, but we're always going to remember when this game came out. It is important not only to uh, game players like you and me, Darren, but also to the general people who downloaded it for a little bit of a happiness kick. There we go. I had completely forgotten. This is weird, right? The two games I've definitely put the most errors into, being Pokemon Go and Football Manager, have not made this top 20. (laughs) Wow. Well, because I feel like, you know, Pokemon Go, like you said, is not particularly great, or at least hasn't been particularly great until recently. And I mean, it has a weird problem that other video games actually benefit from in that the pandemic has not helped Pokemon Go in terms of, you know, I'm not getting as much out of it as I would do under normal circumstances. Uh, and Football Manager is just a spreadsheet exercise, so I can't really classify it. As much as I adore that game, I can't I can't put forward a well-reasoned argument as to why it would be better than any of these video games. But uh, there we go. Uh, cool. Right, so number 19 for me is Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order. This is from 2019 from Respawn. Uh, it was... It's been a dark time under EA for Star Wars video games. Star Wars Squadrons, I will say I've picked up cheaply. It's going fine so far, but I've been told VR is the way to experience that, so I'm missing out on probably the best version of that game. But um, Fallen Order um, has a really good storyline, which has been the main thing lacking for more EA Star Wars games, that really brings you into Cal Kestis' world and, and helps you to explore new planets, new characters, new enemies, um, and it's a great... It's a great Jedi game, which has really been missing because, of course, they just wanted to pump out Battlefront games. Um, it, it, it's, it shows that Respawn are a studio to keep an eye on no matter what they are doing. Titanfall was not just a fluke. It wasn't just their baby series. They can apply it to other things. Um, it's a game that I feel like a sequel could really ramp up and really do well. It does take a little getting used to because you know, everyone said, oh, it's a, it's a um, Demon Souls, Dark Souls, Star Wars game. And, you know, if you go in with that information, I think it's actually harder to adapt. If you actually listen to what the video game's trying to tell you, that rolling is not what you need to be doing, parrying is what you need to be doing. Once everything clicks, it's great. I think that kind of warming up period is probably why it's a bit lower on this list than it maybe would have been had I got into the swing of things straight away. But once you get past about the midpoint of the game and you've got enough power to really handle any situation, it is good. There are gripes. My God, does it need a checkpoint system or a fast travel system? That would add so much more foot into this game and take out a lot of the trick. But those are all situations that can be solved in a sequel that hopefully will be a top 10 game. Hopefully so. Yeah, that game, like you said, if that game had a fast travel system, I might have platinumed it. But uh, Mm -hmm. as it stands, it's just completed and not platinumed. Um, I'm going to move on to my number 19, uh, which is PT, released in 2014 for the PlayStation 4. And the only demo to make it into my list, uh, because, quite frankly, the game itself doesn't exist. Um, PT was released as a playable teaser, hence PT, for the upcoming and now cancelled Silent Hills video game, which would have been a reboot of the series, starring Norman Reedus, of all people, and headed by Hideo Kojima. Um Obviously, this game didn't happen as Hideo Kojima then ceased to exist in the eyes of Konami, was promptly fired from his own game, um, which was MGS5, which was just coming out, and eventually found shelter with Sony. And then um, Death Stranding reportedly happened. (laughs) The the thing about PT is that I have never been more intrigued, more scared, and yet more excited to play something that is essentially a corridor simulator. I think what this game fully understands is that horror is its atmosphere. It's not necessarily 
the monsters you put in it. The most scary thing about that game, aside from the ghost of Lisa that taunts you throughout the entire thing, is turning a corner or going near a doorway really creeping atmospheric horror moments it doesn't even have a soundtrack all it has is this thick fog atmosphere that just really puts you on a knife's edge you are constantly expecting to be shocked surprised scared caught eaten even it it, it it's a game that's even though it is just one room, you go one, round one loop a number of times and you have to solve incredibly, and I mean incredibly cryptic puzzles, it absolutely captured my attention. There is nothing like this, not in the space of horror games. Nothing has ever come this close to pure terror out of like the bare bones of a game. And for that, I think we'll always remember P.T. Sweet. I wish I had the cojones to play P.T. <laughs> Right, number 80, we have, um, this will not take me two minutes to talk about because it it's untitled, Goosecape. Uh, this is from House House in 2019. Uh, it's probably the most basic video game on this entire list, um, but it's also some of the most fun I've had this whole generation. It's so silly and just such a, I know it was made by an Australian team, but it feels like the most British video game ever invented. You are terrorising a quaint little village as Satan's pet goose. It is the best. It's so... I like that it never needs to be more complicated than is absolutely necessary. You only need to pick stuff up and honk. That is it. And the the levels of depth that it gives you, even though it is a very simple game, it's only got five or six levels, the amount of stuff you can do to just arse around is only really seen in Grand Theft Auto games. That's. I'm not saying this is as good as a Grand Theft Auto game, but what I'm saying is... It kind of evokes that spirit of just like, you can do whatever you want to these people and with very little consequences. Just have fun, try new ways of solving the same puzzles. And it's a great game to talk to other people about of how they got around problems. It's just a brilliant game. And again, set up perfectly for what I hope is called Untitled Goose, a mandatory sequel. <laughs> or Untitled Goose sequel. Yes. Um we're going to hear more about that game later. Uh, cool. That's all I'm going to say. Also, I feel like at this juncture, since you mentioned Grand Theft Auto, um, games like Grand Theft Auto and Minecraft aren't on this list because they released way the fuck back in like the 2010s, mm-hmm. like really early on. Um, they don't count. Grand Theft Auto is going to be on PS3, 4 and 5 by the time the end of the year is out, as well as Minecraft. It's, it, it doesn't count. It has no. to have been had its first formal release after october 2013 anyway uh i will go ahead with my number 18 are we on yeah 18 yeah. god we're only three in uh forza horizon 4 released in 2018 for the xbox one and now playable on the xbox series x as of this week it's the only racing game in here and indeed the only sports game i'm going to talk about because that is not my wheelhouse however after the hurt of playing dangerous driving which might be one of the worst games i've played this generation i wanted a good racing game And after getting my Xbox and picking up the Game Pass, I downloaded Forza Horizon 4. And here we are. If you miss Burnout, especially Burnout Paradise, you need to play Forza Horizon 4. It's got that exact mix of kind of the technical driving of your, well, your normal Forza and your Gran Turismo games, along with the arcadey fun style and indeed fun narrative of the old Burnout games. It's the exact right mixture 
cars feel responsive and weighty and they do change as you go from model to model but at the same time you are still blasting it across a a field ramming straight through like a farmer's brick wall whilst racing a giant hovercraft the game finds a really nice balance between the absurd and the re like the real like the reality of driving it always helps as you mentioned just with um a title goose game that there's an unbridled britishness about forza horizon 4 you know it's the only driving game where i've actually seen a roundabout implemented properly mm. which is you know that's a british staple as it is mm. um the customization is really good you have the option to um and customize not only your car but also your driving avatar there's a bunch of like rpg elements to it it's all, it's been described as a car pg by some people which i think is an absolutely great signifier but i really want the horizon series to continue i don't really care for forza motorsports as it is just an offshoot of the gran turismo frame of mind but the forza horizon series is where driving is fun again exactly two minutes well done um Okay, next up on mine is the first of three series to feature multiple times in the top 20. Uh, this is Pokemon Sword. Uh, this is uh, from Nintendo 2019 on the Switch. Um, I mean, it's the British Pokemon game, so I couldn't really miss it off anyway. But uh, <laughs> this feels like the best of those half-step Pokemon games we get. Imagine Pokemon X and Y, but just done well. Again, I've said this already for a lot of these low-ranking games. I feel the next one is going to really capitalise on what this one lays the bedrock for. But it's still a good Pokemon game. I think it's one of the weaker ones narratively. Uh, but in terms of Pokemon design, it's one of the elite-level ones. Um, it is beautifully designed. Everything feels... It feels British. It feels correct. Everything's been designed with such finite attention to detail that, you know, you, you hope they carry this on for future Pokemon games, that they are reflections of the place they are based on more than anything else. Um, everything fits, everything feels right, um, up to and including, you know, how do you make the champion seem the most important? Well, let's make him a football king. That's a good idea. We'll give him shorts <laughs> and a crown. Um, the DLC, I think, if Isle of Armour had been better, this might have pumped you up higher up the list. I think Isle of Armour was such, like, busy work crown tundra is a lot better i'd much prefer that one um but yeah i just feel that there's still some things i need to iron out i think the proper implementation of the wild area mechanics and stuff like that and again just a more slightly more involved plot i think we, we've kind of gone down the mountain from i'm going to conquer the universe too i've just made pokemon big so yeah steps i need to take to really implement what a full nintendo switch home console pokemon game is but I still can't get over the feel. It still feels very novel to play a proper Pokemon game on a TV. Yeah, you're right there. I don't know what this says about Pokemon Sword and Shield, but uh, it's not on my top 20, and Ooh. it is the game we finished the National decks in. It is. <laughs> so, you know, and first... Well, actually, no. No, no, no. We're going to talk about uh, something to do with shiny Pokemon in just a little bit. Mm. Uh, but my number 17 is, um, and this is going to annoy a lot of people, The Witcher 3 Wild Hunt, released in 2015 for the PlayStation 4, Xbox One, uh, Nintendo Switch later on, and will be released for the PlayStation 5 and Xbox Series X in just a few days. Um, the Witcher 3 Wild Hunt is one of the most gamey games to exist and that is going to be a phrase that you hear in the top 10 list for sure it understands that it is a an in-depth story-driven rpg 
and does just that for 80 plus hours. It is a long game. It has a lot of content and none of it feels unimportant or derivative like the later Elder Scrolls have felt, just kind of like padding. Everything feels natural in The Witcher 3 and it's not something that I can say about the previous Witcher games. I have played both of them um, and the tone has evolved until we kind of reach the perfect little concoction that The Witcher 3 is. Uh, I think it's kind of really cemented the fact that Geralt of Rivia is now a gaming icon. I feel like if there was ever to be a Witcher 4, that would be a big fucking deal. It's so much of a big deal that Geralt has appeared in fighting games now. He's now considered a, an important enough character to appear as a crossover special character. But the Wild Hunt games, I will admit, the combat isn't as good as it could be. And I feel like a lot of people kind of put the story aspects and the world and the crafting and the weaponry above all of that and i get it it's all really good it's all really good fantasy rpg if you like fantasy rpgs if you like stat building if you like magic casting if you like preparing for big fights against massive enemies the witcher 3 might be your perfect game as it stands for me it isn't however i do recognize that it is incredibly important it's a technical achievement given the size and scope of that game as well as to have one of the best stories of the generation i'm looking forward to more from cd project red but the witcher 3 unfortunately sits in the lower half of my list well that's slightly better than when i would have put it so that's good uh i would have probably had it as probably disappointment of the generation for Fair me enough. the thing is that's not I understand The Witch is not for everybody. Like it, it is for ve- like incredible nerds like me, but it is not for the general get. This is where I think we're going to see that switch when Cyberpunk comes out because that's a little bit more geared towards a general audience. But we'll yeah. see. We shall see. Right next up for me, this is the by far and away the most recent game uh, and the one that pushed uh, Mad Max off the list. Uh, at number sixteen, it's Crash Bandicoot Four. It's about time. Uh, nice. Toys for Bob this year. Uh, as I said a few weeks ago when we talked about it in the uh, media of uh, Lockdown Part 2, it's the perfect Crash Bandicoot sequel. Everything you want it to be from the previous ones, from all the stuff you loved about the Insane Trilogy in the original three, is here in spades. They've just added little touches to it that take it to that next level, that take away nothing from the core gameplay loop, but just have either quality of life improvements, such as getting rid of the live system if you don't want it there, up to adding the masks, the, the new masks that kind of add little sections of the levels. Um, they take them up a little notch. You can either have the anti-gravity section, the um, the part where you get the one of the masks that allows you to pop stuff in and out of reality, uh, the slow down time stuff. It is all really well realised. I will say, I have now finished the game. It does have one major flaw. The Neo Cortex levels are fucking awful. They are so irritating to play thankfully i think most of them are well some of them are optional um but when you get near the end he's the last of the side characters you unlock uh, so he's doesn't handle very well he handles so differently to everyone else that it just isn't fun and i had a really painful time getting through those ones that's what drags it down quite low on this list too where it would have been had it not been very bad the neocortex levels are um but yeah when it's just crash or coco that you're playing as it's really good. It has a. It still has the difficulty spikes. It can still make you very angry that stuff isn't going your way. But it, just in getting rid of that live system, it's made it so much more fun to just keep throwing yourself at the same problems. 
And I don't think I actually turned it off in anger once, which I did several times with the Insane Trilogy, of just like, this is unfair. This game isn't unfair, you just need to have the right skills to do it. It's the right type of challenging. Yeah, I, this is one I've not played. So uh, hopefully eventually I can edit my list to include this, but at mm-hmm. the moment, with everything that's happening, I've not been able to play Crash 4, and I'm feeling real bad about that. Um, we were just talking about Pokemon, weren't we? Guess yes. what? Here's more of it. At number 16, Pokemon Sun and Moon, and actually Pokemon Ultra Sun and Ultra Moon, because they're basically the same fucking game. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I love this game, though. There's the, thing, the, the reason that it is here is because this is my second favourite Pokemon game. We said this when we first reviewed Sun and Moon. I will say it again now. This is directly below HeartGold, Silver. These are absolutely stellar Pokemon games. Unfortunately, Ultra Sun and Ultra Moon don't differentiate themselves enough to catapult themselves up the list as their own entry, which is why I consider Sun and Moon and Ultra Sun and Ultra Moon as it, basically two sides of the same coin. This is not a Ruby Sapphire and then Emerald or a Dominant Pearl and then Platinum. The reinvention is not big enough. However, the Alola region is one of the most fun regions to explore in a Pokemon game. Where I feel that Galar is a little bit more linear, Alola does not have that problem. It's island features basically mean they are their own little circuits their own little routes with branching paths and little secrets to explore it's alive and full of color i really really love the pokemon designs from this generation they might be some of my favorite starters out of the entire franchise they are that good the the gimmick of z moves is it's it's very much a a gigantamax and not a mega revolution it is it's fine it really only affects the um the meta the competitive which i am not a part of uh, however this is the game where i did start my um route to finishing the national decks uh, it's also the game where i caught my first shiny which was annoyingly in darren's trailer name <laughs> and i will never live it down but i still have that hippopotas and he's still good um yeah no the these are brilliant the only problem with them is that they're on the 3ds the 3ds chugs to shit when it's playing these games i'm hoping for that rumored port onto the nintendo switch and that will make this game a full 10 out of 10 sweet uh we, we may be going back to alola later mm. um okay next up at number 15 uh, another franchise that has multiple entries on this list uh number 15 it's assassin's creed syndicate uh from 2015 from ubisoft uh it's the last proper assassin's creed game before they did the soft reboot um with the next few games it's again i'm not showing like nationalist pride here but it is set in london um which does kind of help that it's just nice to see stuff you recognise. Uh, it's the most modern Assassin's Creed game, so it gets to use guns in a way that doesn't feel gimmicky. Like, they had them in Assassin's Creed 3, but, oh, God, they were awful. So it, it's it's a nice combination. It's probably the closest we you'll see of what it would have been if they would have done that Desmond Miles modern Assassin's Creed game. Um, it does have a few things I don't feel was necessary, like the um, the, 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 the kind of grapple hook thing is fun but kind of ruins the i want to climb up stuff as an assassin in an assassin's creed game uh the story is fun playing as jacob and evie fry uh it doesn't take itself very seriously uh it's quite tongue-in-cheek it basically does away with all techno share business which is always a gold <laughs> star for any assassin's creed game oh fucking just techno to, share yep if you can just be done with any future stuff you're good no mention of techno share ever again please um 
yeah, it's it's a game I always like think back on fondly and keep wanting to go back to when I get a chance. Um, it's not as good as Black Flag, which definitely would have been in a top ten if it was, you know, if it met the criteria, put it that way. But uh, having just missed out, yeah, this is probably going to be the last of the old school Assassin's Creed games that we're ever going to get because from here on out. They change it up. I'm not saying for better or for worse, but, you know, this will always have a soft spot in my heart because it's the last of a game franchise I really enjoy. It'd be interesting if um, someone tries to denounce the existence of TechnoShare because they don't, in fact, believe in life after love. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, to the, <laughs> the TechnoShare... I can't remember what episode the TechnoShare rant was on, but fuck me. Um <sighs> If you can find that episode, please. I mean, this is the thing about the Assassin's Creed Syndicate, uh, say Assassin's Creed franchise in general. It has made me very angry at points. Please do go listen to the all-time great Fair Entertainment episode of the Assassin's Creed <laughs> movie review for how much this franchise can really truly piss you off. But uh, when it works, it's one of the best. Fran- it's one of the most consistent franchises when it works. They're not going to have two fucking shits to run together. <laughs> oh that's a good episode please listen to that right um number 15 for me might surprise some of you considering that it's not a good game but here it is number 15 is destiny from 2014 released on playstation 4 xbox one xbox 360 and playstation 3 this was supposed to be the big first step into the next gen and what it did actually do is set up the live service genre of video games. And for that, it will always have a black mark against it. <laughs> However, I really had fun with Destiny. The fact that this was made by Bungie, a studio who knows how guns are supposed to feel. This felt like an incredibly kind of realistic and weighty kickback with those guns as well. While still maintaining its kind of ancient sci-fi themes which is really cool. It's this weird mix between, yes, you've got a ship and you're flying from planet to planet, uh, but you're also kind of harnessing some kind of eldritch ancient magic to be like these weird ideas of like the light, literally like the light is like a, a fucking existence in this game. The the live the live action, live action, the um, live service stuff is the, really, the thing that really brings it down. Um, its e-commerce was pretty shitty. Its season pass was bare bones. The game didn't really start being like more than a 5 out of 10 game until the Taken King expansion came out. But for what this game was, a game that I continuously logged into every day to run uh, missions over and over again to get certain weapons, to play raids with up to six people, that we started forming raid parties. I got to know people through playing the game, which is really cool. And I will always remember uh, playing through one of the raids and getting the legendary Galahorn weapon, which was the um, the kind of the lion-inspired rocket launcher, which was basically an absolute necessity to beat the harder levels in the game. This game represents memories to me, moreover than it does anything else. I can't tell you any of the characters' names now six years removed, but I will always remember playing Destiny with my friends. I genuinely didn't know you ever played Destiny. Yeah, I picked it up on day one. I tell you what, though, this is this is kind of what speaks to how of an in, much of an ineffective franchise Destiny was. I didn't pre-order it. I went to Tesco on my way home from work the day that it came out, and I was able to pick a copy up. So you know, it was always destined to fail, but I really enjoyed it. <laughs> destined to fail. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Lovely. Uh, okay, next up, it is the 
third series that has multiple entries on this uh, list. Uh, it is number 14. It's the earliest game. It's Nintendo uh, 2013. It's The Legend of Zelda A Link Between Worlds. Um, it's one of the best handheld Zelda games going. Uh, in fact, they probably only put Minish Cap above it. Uh, it is a, a really good top... It's probably my favourite top-down Zelda other than the Minish Cap. Um, it is... I think it's much better than A Link to the Past, but I know that ruffles some feathers. I really didn't care for The Link to the Past. This feels like it's, you know, the same map, essentially, but done better in every single way. Um, it seems like a strange gimmick of you can just paper yourself onto walls, but it really does open up a lot of, like, innovative ways around puzzles, great dungeon design that you don't get in any other type of Zelda game. And it helps the game feel really unique compared to everything else. Like, sometimes you'll put a gimmick into a game, like full Wii Remote Controls, and it just doesn't work. This is an example of one of the Zelda gimmicks really working and really helping a game stand out uh, on its own two feet. It is, uh, although it is somehow seven years old, which is mind-blowing to me. It does not seem like that was, you know, seven years ago. Um... It is still an unbelievably well-designed and well-put-together game, one that any Zelda purist should go out of their way to play, even if it is on the 3DS. Um, It is well worth your time. It has a great story that keeps you guessing all the way to the end. Uh, And, yeah, it's... You know what? If if they brought some of these mechanics back for the um, sequel to Breath of the Wild, I wouldn't be too upset. It's, It's very whimsical. I don't think it would suit that style, but I'm ready for a direct sequel to this much more they am for a sequel to A Link to the Past. I am one of those A Link to the Past purists, and even I will admit that um, A Link Between Worlds fixes a lot of problems with that game. Mm-hmm. It is, it's very good. I am surprised it wasn't in my honorable mentions. I, I guess I just completely forgot about it, which is a shame, because uh, it's fucking good. Was that your number 14, Darren? It was. Thank Christ, I'm on track. Okay, number 14, from one shooter to another, we are going to Apex Legends, released in 2019 for PlayStation 4, Xbox One, PC, and upcoming on the Nintendo Switch. It's the game that legitimized the Battle Royale genre for me, a genre that really kind of came to a head in this generation. It had existed in other mods before, mostly on PC, um, but after the wave that was PUBG and Fortnite, we end up with Respawn Entertainment's go at this genre with Apex Legends. It's an offshoot of the Titanfall franchise, but has now become its own beast as a sort of character-driven three against three against three against three up to 60 players uh, battle royale. It's honestly one of the best controlling games that I've played this generation. It's surprising how in-depth that they have gone for something that did not need to be this in-depth. It has unique characters similar to Overwatch, in which they have their own specific abilities and ultra moves uh, and handle better with certain different terrains and weaponry, whilst maintaining a fair balance between gameplay. There's no real... Um, baked in advantages to this game it is all based on your performance and what you're able to scavenge now you might be able to levy that same compliment to fortnite what i'll say to fortnite is it it doesn't feel like when you're playing apex legends that you have to battle against the controls because fortnite feels like shit apex legends is basically titanfall battle royale and therefore it handles 
so much more efficiently. It's such an ergonomic game. It moves in exactly the way you expect it to move. You don't feel like you're moving like a tank or you're outpacing your character you feel in control fully and that's important in a shooter especially one that is competitive i've actually won in this game that's how balanced it is someone with not particularly much shooter skill like me can win at apex legends and for that it needs to be on the list Fair enough. A free-to-play game that I really should have got on at some point, but I just have not got around to. Um, cool. Right. At number 13, it's another very recent game. Uh, it's from this year. It's from Sucker Punch. It's Ghost of Tsushima. Oh, OK. Um, I've also got it here. Oh, <laughs> let's have a four minute discussion, Darren. Let's have a four minute discussion. Um, yeah, it's. It's probably one of... See, weaker is the wrong word I want to use here, but there's so many PS4 exclusives that are appearing higher on my list that it's hard not to think of it as one of the ones that is still very good. It's better than, like... um, What's the one with the zombies? Oh, Days Gone. There you go. It's so much more than whatever that is, but uh, again, it feels like it's set up for a better sequel. Yeah, it is. Uh, I think the only reason that it features this low down on the list for me is because it is still that newness factor... I, I, I love Ghost of Shima. I have platinum this game. Um, but ultimately, it's still too close to tell whether or not I'm going to remember this as much as other PlayStation 4 exclusives, of mm-hmm. which we're almost certainly going to talk about in either this episode or the next. Um, I won't spoil any of those picks, though. What this game gets right, in my opinion, is combat, combat, combat. Everything feels mm-hmm. right. Everything feels fair. Everything feels like it's got a good sense of progression to it. I think we've talked about this in the big review we did. Please go and listen to that. Um, that it does fall down in some of the stealth aspects. Yep. Um, but when it is sword-on-sword combat, it's unparalleled in its field. It is. And I think story is fine. It's it, it's it's quite long, uh, admittedly, but it, it's fine. I actually feel like... Now, they're doing this a bit with the DLC... It feels like they're going for a very realistic game, but I feel like a little bit of the fantasy stuff could have helped. Like, done so in a way like, um, as for example, Assassin's Creed Odyssey tries to add a little bit of this in there, where if you go to the right areas of the map, you might find something mysterious. And because it's set in ancient Japan, you couldn't. it doesn't have to be a full fantasy game, you could just be finding stuff that, you know, is now lost to legend or stuff like that. Um, that was it. They're adding this in with the free DLC, which I do want to have a look at at some point because it looks at least very visually interesting, if nothing else. That's true. Um, it's just it feels like it's one of those games where I really enjoyed my time with it, but it's not a game I'd ever earmark to say, "Oh, I want to play through that again." I don't know. I, I'm feeling now that the PlayStation Five's on the horizon. This being bumped up to 60 frames a second might actually legitimise another playthrough. Although, mm. that being said, it ain't a short game. This is a long game. Mm-hmm. And it's not necessarily because of the story. It's because of everything else. There is a lot to see in the game. You've got, like you said, legends to chase up on, whether it's regarding figures or weaponry or animals or something like that. Mm-hmm. You, there's plenty to go and investigate that is not your quest to get revenge on Khan. It's yep. It's got a lot more going on. That is where it kind of shines, though. This is a game that I feel like, unlike any other in its space, when the map opens up and you see multiple icons across it, you're excited to go and see what it is, Whether it, even if it's just a base, even if it's just 
dispatch these guys without getting seen. That feels fun. It feels like a challenge. Yeah, it's thematically uh, everything fits. Like it just, it, you know, for more even the side quests of like doing the um, the haikus, everything like that feels like it's not been considered because it's necessarily like you know oh we need to have this type of thing in there it's fun for the gameplay it's because it feels right for this character to do um if i think if um what's your boy's name jin jin sakai jin sakai if jin sakai was slightly more interesting i think that would help he's got a bit of altair about him of just a little too straight laced i feel like you know if this is more of an Ezio situation this might have bumped it up higher but yeah it's a very... There's no fat on this game that I don't feel should be there. I just feel like, yeah, it needs... Stealth is what it's lacking the most. And I think refinements in that area and maybe a bit more of a of a refinement of a storyline. And I think we have another 10 out of 10 easy PlayStation 4 exclusive... Or PS5 exclusive for the next time round. If this gets a sequel, that's going to be one to watch for sure. Oh, boy. Right, we'll call it there because that's four minutes. Um, Sweet. We're moving on. It's back with you, Darren, for number 12. Fantastic. Right. Um, it's another franchise we've already mentioned before. At number 12, it is the soft reboot. It's Assassin's Creed Origins uh, from 2017 from Ubisoft. Uh, yeah, this is the one that kind of reset everything, um, ironically, after the movie came out. Um, so there is a clear divide now between classic Assassin's Creed game ending with Syndicate and then the more RPG Dark Souls ripoff that they're now doing from Odyssey onwards. So from Origins onwards. Um, I think this one succeeds where Odyssey, I think I played it wrong, honestly. I, I did the same tactic I used in Origins I did in Odyssey and it kind of ruined the game. Because in Origins, I kind of ignored the storyline for a fair amount of time because it was just so much fun to run to all the other icons on the map that were either be like puzzle dungeons or combat arenas or you've got to you know, fight an animal or something like that. And it was just a lot more interesting to do that in ancient Egypt than for whatever reason it was in ancient Greece. I think they added so much side content in Odyssey that I ended up spending too much time doing that and it kind of retroactively ruined the game for me. That's on me. I didn't do that with Origins. Combat feels really good. The way that you accumulate weapons and how they gradually improve you over the game feels good as well it doesn't really have a pay to win system i was able to get relatively powerful relatively quickly playing the game normally uh bayek of siwa is a great great character for this he's up there with i mean no one's up there with Ezio, but he's up there with your um connor um oh my god i forgot his name uh, edward kenway from black flag and the fry twins from syndicate are just a really enjoyable player to be different from all of them because he's just anger he's basically kratos in ancient egypt have just he's just as he's coming for you it is brilliant he feels adequately powerful against most enemies after a certain point that he can just swan into any given situation and murderize everybody um it set the precedent for where we're going with this valhalla looks like it's gonna you know capitalize on that even more but yeah considering it was a bit of a risk to reboot soft reboot one of your biggest franchise uh it's it's done pretty well i mean Stealth is much less of a priority because it's just a lot more fun now to run in and kill everybody. But the gameplay and the mechanics make that just as fun as it was to stealth round in the old game. So it's a different type of Assassin's Creed game, but one I like nonetheless. 
Very good. That was a long two minutes. I felt like you packed a lot of information into that. That was really I'm good. Very efficient. Thank you. You are very efficient. I felt I still haven't played any of the reboot Assassin's Creed games. Uh, it, that, I don't know what it is about them. They just they just don't appeal. I I get it because this is the thing. Like when I'm explaining the Assassin's Creed franchise to Rachel, I'm like, right, Assassin's Creed Two or Brotherhood is probably the best classic Assassin's Creed game. Mm. Origins is the best of the new one. But neither of them are the best because Assassin's Creed 4 is the best one. And she's like, but they're, they're they all, aren't they all the same game? I'm like, for some reason, no. They're all called <laughs> the same thing, but they are very... You've got a stealth game, a pirate game, and an RPG <laughs> combat yep. game. I would say Origins is the one to just give a dip your toe in the water with that one. Uh, obviously, I haven't played Valhalla yet, so that might be the way forward. Because they're bringing back a lot of the town building stuff they had in 2 and Brotherhood. That I really liked, so that might kind of help Valhalla maybe even take a step forward for this one. But yeah, I I, I get it. If unless you were, you know, they get rid of the story at this point. You're not really doing any future stuff in these games, which is great. But yeah, I can see why you'd be apprehensive, but I can vouch for at least Origins as being. I had fun with it, even though it's not the Assassin's Creed game you kind of expect it to be. That's fair. Plus, with the upcoming Valhalla game, it is set in England, and as we know, we are very biased towards games that are set in England. <laughs> Apparently so. Who knew? Um, I blame Brexit. <laughs> no, I don't. Um, my number 12, um, I don't even think I'm going to need the two minutes because there's not a fat lot to talk about because it's just a very well-oiled engine. Engines as in cars. It's Rocket League, released in 2015, <laughs> released on PC, PS4, Xbox One, Mac, Linux, and now the Nintendo Switch. This is a game that does one thing very, very well, and that's all it needs to do. It is just car football. That's your lot. That's all you need. There are. It started actually as a um, as a paid game, but now has gone completely free to play. So if you haven't picked Rocket League up, I do suggest you do that on your platform of choice. It is coming to next gen at some point, although we don't have a date for that. So you might be able to play it on your PlayStation Five or Xbox Series X, which is launching this week. Um, yeah, it's just car football, Darren. There's not much else I can say. It's just football with cars. You can p- put hats on your cars, and that's cool. You can get paint jobs for your cars, and that's cool. You can drive the Batmobile around, and that's cool. But it's just car football. It's so simplistic. This feels like one of those games, much like Pokemon Go, where it felt important to not just people who played video games, but also people who you view video games as just like a side hobby you know your fifa players your football mm-hmm. manager players people who engage with video games parallel to another interest rocket league felt like it captured those people as well as well as having its own competitive leagues and plays i'm forever seeing impressive rocket league maneuvers on reddit as like little video clips there it the amount of kind of bending of the physics in this game that the players are able to do frankly outdoes i think the base game uh, like the base code of the game it genuinely feels like the community has taken this and just bent it into a shape that is wholly theirs like this has gone beyond whatever the devs were trying to achieve um and i remember playing the progenitor to this which was uh, supersonic ultra powered acrobatic battle cars and that was like, that's a good idea, but it needs refinement. In much the same way that we talk about a lot of games on this list, Rocket League is that refinement. And it's fucking good. This is the game I forgot about. I think it wouldn't trouble my top 20 just because I feel like I've never played it for longer than about 20 minutes at a time. Before oh, I'm like, I've, okay, had, I'm I've had 
full days on Rocket League. When oh, I, wow. When I meet up with um, a few of my university friends, we, we went around uh, one of my friends' house who lives in Chesterfield, and we, we, we arrived on the Friday night and we're just like, you know, having fun. We woke up the next Saturday morning to play Rocket League and we didn't stop playing Rocket League until early hours of the Sunday morning. It, wow. Honestly, this is why it ranks so high. It's like Pokemon Go is that it's 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 the experiences that I have playing this game with other people in a community sense that just rocket it right up the list. See, that's understandable. There are some games here that it's more... The times I came around and the times I enjoyed playing them. Because that's, you know, that has to be taken into context with video games. Much more, I think, than films, that the context in which you enjoy them can really help push them above other things that probably are better made games. Oh, yeah. Um, we're we're going to hit one of those uh, in the second episode. Uh, but for now, the last one on my list for this episode, number 11, uh, I'm surprised this didn't make your top 20. Uh, it's from 2017 on the Switch from Nintendo. It's Mario Odyssey. I'm yeah. genuinely surprised this didn't make your top 20 because um, I think it's it's a very, very well put together Mario platformer, which you expect from Nintendo. They're not going to let the flagship, their flagship franchise suffer in any way, shape or form. Uh, it really was the one-two punch the Switch needed to really show what it can do and what it does bring to the table it might not have all the power and the fidelity and the ray tracing and all that stuff but what it brings is just incredibly well done video games this feels like the mario game where there's not one single mechanic that i feel will not age badly over time because going back and playing the 3d all-stars collections as much as i love sunshine and galaxy there are problems in there I don't see Odyssey ever having that problem. It's so well put together, so varied, just so you know imaginatively put together in terms of all the world designs, all the cap capturing mechanics, which again could have been a gimmick, could have got in the way, but really just expands it as a platformer, which is all you can ever really want it to do. It doesn't take it away from the formula of jump from A to B, but just gives you a lot of more tools and a lot more fun ways to go about that that really keeps it ticking over what is a relatively long game. And I mean, I've only played it just to complete the storyline. I haven't gone back to get everything, which, you know, is basically the lifeblood of Twitch live streams most of the time. It's just mad speed runs through Mario Odyssey. Um, it's brilliant. I had a great time playing it. It's it's one of the first games that me and my girlfriend played at the same time, basically. So it was just fun for us both to play it through together uh, and really see what a brand new console could do um, because it was the first new switch game i played and it was yeah everything i kind of hoped it would be and more mario odyssey the game that made darren propose to his fiance <laughs> <laughs> basically yeah for well we can get through this so <laughs> <laughs> no odyssey is a fantastic video game it's so good i'm i'm genuinely surprised it didn't make my top 20 but i felt like there are games like we were talking about with rocket league that just were a moment in this generation and Odyssey, like you said, it was very much the two of the one-two punch of another game we're going to talk about in the next episode. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, hold on to your hats for that. But for now, I'm going to finish the episode up with my number 11 pick. Uh, I am going to quote one of my favorite video game reviewers of all time. Uh, Undertale is a good game. 
And there we go. Uh, no, no, I'll, I'll, I'll have my two minutes. Uh, Undertale released in 2015 for PC, Mac, Linux, and later for the PlayStation 4, PlayStation Vita, and Nintendo Switch. This might be the defining um, indie game of this generation, and it looks like a game from 1989, uh, and yet somehow carries an undeniable heart, a really intriguing story and lore incredibly memorable and indeed memeable characters um and it does that with an over like a looming consequence to this game i don't think i've really played another game where it, i actually felt like an active participant in this story rather than in much like games have become more cinematic i'm getting from a to b and seeing what happens in undertale you are deciding what happens with every battle that comes across this is the rpg where you can win the game without killing or defeating a single enemy you have the option to befriend these monsters you have the option to show pity and spare these monsters lives whilst also making them your friends and later on your family it it's completely unlike anything else in the gaming space you might ask, why am I putting this at number 11? Uh, that's because I have done what can only be described as a jackass pick on the um, on number 10. <laughs> that That is what I'm calling it now. The the unbridled, why is this at number 10 choice is now officially the jackass pick. Um, but, but Undertale is, it's just so unique. It's just so wonderful. The reason it's not in the top 20 is that I don't feel any inclination to play it again because I got the ending I wanted. I'm aware there's another way to finish that game, but I don't want to change that ending. I don't want to experience the game again and go around as a murderous psychopath because I will feel bad for my save file for these characters. That You might argue that's what should catapult into the top 10. I would say the inclination to not play a video game is not a good thing. <laughs> that that's, that's the only overstep that Undertale has, but it's a fantastic video game nonetheless. Please play that game. It's it's one that I was like, uh, am I going to enjoy that? Is that for me? Uh, it's hard to recommend to you specifically um, because no. I know that there's like going to be a lot of um, how should I put it? Well, it's it, it's it's full it. It's not full of memes. It is the progenitor to a lot of memes. Um, and I will say, though, the the combat initiatives in that game, which is part RPG, part bullet hell, I think you might actually enjoy that. I just don't know whether you're going to attach yourselves to the characters in the story in the same way that I did. Right. Well, I'm, I'm not getting a PS5 for a while, so I need something to pad it the time. And it's going to be um, cheap so... to pick up as well, so, you know. Yeah, good point. So we might get into it. Right. Uh, so all I kept thinking was like, my God, do I want a Jackass video game? <laughs> like, just do Tony Hawk's without the skateboard, and I think you're there. <laughs> you do realise that exists, right? That's actually... I know, a... I know, I know, but it looked god-awful, so... Yeah, it was. I didn't want to touch that, but... uh Great, that was part one. It was. Pretty efficient, if I do say so myself. Yeah, we've done quite well there uh, to cover... Um, well, we've covered 20 video... Well, there's been some overlap, hasn't there? But we've covered 20 entries into the list already um, on the week that the Xbox Series X releases. We've talked about a few Xbox games in this list as well, mostly multi-platform, but certainly Forza Horizon. Uh, unfortunately, my only Xbox um, 
exclusive game in my entire top 20 and therefore the best game to get on the system so if you're picking up an xbox series x this week play forza horizon 4 and also get the game pass because it's a brilliant service Mm-hmm. um great so that's gonna do this for this week's episode it is um next week on the week of release of the playstation 5 and Woo-hoo. the the full coronation of the ninth generation of video games we will be giving you our 10 to 1 choices for the best games of the generation the generation that is now sadly leaving us behind and becoming part of the annals of history but uh, until then you can go and find me on twitter and instagram and at that mike owen you can go and follow darren on twitter and instagram and at the gutridge you can follow the site on twitter instagram and facebook under the username fowley and t that's f-o-u-l-e-n-t find us on apple podcasts find us on spotify Find us on SoundCloud or wherever you can pick up an RSS feed under the username FowleyNT or FowleyNT Podcast, depending on the service you're using. And of course, for more stuff like this, and we are approaching the end of the year, so for our end of the year written content, please do go to FowleyEntertainment.com for more stuff from us. Great. Thank you very much for listening. Um, We will hopefully have a PS5 review at some point when Michael receives... Hopefully, just one PlayStation. Yeah, I did. I did. I did cancel the other one in the end. Um, ah, okay. Well, they wanted full payment, and they were like, "Yeah, you're not getting it on day one." Like, oh, fuck that then. <laughs> Goodbye. Yeah. Um, so uh, I am actually getting it, uh, and I am getting Spider-Man Miles Morales. So mm. that will be the first game outside of Astro's Playroom that I play on the PlayStation Five, and I'm also getting Demon Souls. So right. it's going to be a good end of the year. It's really irritating that I know I could get Miles Morales because it is coming out on the PS4, but I should probably save that. Yeah. Oh, my God. Before we end, can we talk about the costume in that game? Oh, yes, we can. Uh, Yeah. So they released a trailer for um, Miles Morales that has the Into the Spider-Verse costume that runs at its own dedicated 15 frames a second. Jesus Christ, that is attention to detail. Holy shit. I, I like I imagine I, I would find it pretty much unbearable to play the whole game like that, I think. I think the novelty would wear off. But for for Blasting Rain when I'm just like trophy hunting at the end, that's gonna be the ideal costume to do it in. Apparently there is going to be a separate mode for that costume alone where you can toggle the, the frame skips on and off. Ah, okay. That's Which, better. Uh, I, I respect that they put that in, but I would have liked it to have been that's the experience. It is just emulating the film. But fuck me, that looks good. Oh, my God. I want that, like, right now. The reviews are coming out for that game, and they're like, it's as good as Marvel Spider-Man from 2018. Uh-huh. I'm like, hmm, I want it so I bad. Think, uh, so do I, I think I am going to have to wait, though. Because I mean, I've still got a back catalogue of things I need to clear, like, Assassin's Creed Valhalla gets here in a couple of days, uh, Hyrule Warriors, uh, so on and so forth. And my rule of thumb for the PS5 is I need to wait for three games on there before I will tempt it. That and Horizon um, Forbidden West are going to be two of those. If I save them, they're both good to PS4, but if I save them and then God of War 2 comes out, then we've got a, then we've got a party. So yeah. I, I think I'm going to hold off as long as I can. Uh, I'd suggest that you just start saving now, because if you're picking up three first-party games, that's, yeah. it's not going to be cheap. Um, no, although, when the lockdown is, is finished, hopefully in December, Darren, I invite you to come over and experience the PlayStation mm. 5. 
and it will be a fun time for all involved. Yes, uh, it shall. But until then, we will see you next week for the 10 to 1 of the best games of the generation. Uh, thank you very much for listening to this episode of 8 Bit of Sweet, and we'll see you next time. Bye, everybody! Bye! Bye.